All right, week three of the Colts head coaching search is here. I'm Kevin Bowen, Eddie Garrison across the way. Um, I think this is the week where you start to get a little bit more agent-driven, and I'll explain more as the podcast unfolds. Um, Obviously, we'll see also which teams are going to be a little bit more patient in this process. Uh, you got four teams left in the playoffs. You can't talk to any of those candidates until Monday after the conference championship game. So how willing are you to wait on some of those guys will be a thing to keep an eye on this week. But the Colts have been true to their word. They've been very patient throughout the process. Got some thoughts on that. I know people are being pretty critical of how many people the Colts have talked to and all of that. I just I think we're in a we're at a time where anything the Colts do People just want to jump all over, which, you know what? They've probably painted themselves a bit into that corner. Again, Kevin Bowen, Eddie Garrison here. Safe travels to everyone in what is supposed to be a pretty wintry snowstorm. Already hit the East Coast and coming our way tomorrow. Eddie, good Tuesday morning to you. Likewise. um, One thing to note here, you mentioned it. I think they're up to, what, 14 or 15 candidates now are the Colts. They'd be 15 if they interview Ryans. Um, Last year, Jacksonville interviewed 12 people. So it's, I mean, it's not an egregious amount, but it is a large number. It is, yeah. And Chicago was north of 10. I think last year with Eberflus, I believe Philadelphia was with Sirianni when they made that hire. Um, Again, I think part of this is we just want to rip the Colts for everything. And, you know, when you've made some of the decisions they've made, you do bring that upon yourself a bit. But I've had no issue um, throughout this that Chris Bauer wants to be patient, wants to talk to a whole lot of people. Um, honestly, if you look at the candidate list, Eddie. It's a good variety. Like, they all also strike you as, okay, I could see why you'd want to talk to that person. It's not like he's interviewing, yeah. you know, you or me. Um, and I think also something to keep in mind, remember in 2018, you interviewed a much smaller candidate group i think it was four or five and one of those was matt rule who a lot of people just thought was hey you're just trying to get intel for further down the road so in a way what did chris Bauer say to us a couple weeks ago i've learned from 2018 don't have the end in sight before you walk into these interviews i think he had the josh mcdaniels end in sight back in 2018 Mm -hmm. he's not having that this time around so shouldn't we credit him for you know changing the process um again i think we can be Critical of Chris Bauer, but also acknowledge why he's gone down this path. Now, as I said, this is the week where you got to kind of show some of your cards. As we record this on Tuesday morning, and this is going to be very fluid, so hopefully the news cycle doesn't uh, you know, get too much off the tracks here, but it probably will. Dan Quinn is heading to Arizona for a second interview. Mike Kafka is heading to Houston for a second interview. I bring those names up, Eddie, not so much to say the Colts have this immense amount of interest in either of them. I think they obviously are interested. They interviewed both of them. But now we're starting to get into second interviews. Mm -hmm. And I think back to last year and some of the reports with Denver and Nathaniel Hackett of Jacksonville being really interested in Hackett. And all of a sudden when Denver got wind of that, they felt like they had to kind of rush and make that higher. When do we see that domino start to fall? Is it going to be Sean Payton? Is it Dan Quinn? You know, there's only five openings. That's not a lot. So if all of a sudden two get filled and whatever, you think D'Amico Ryans is going to Houston and that's going to happen after the conference championship games, do we see any panic set in? And that's where I get to the agent-driven part. Can you build up your client as, hey, you guys need to jump on this because Carolina really likes my guy? That will be something I think to keep an eye on over the next couple of days. 
I'm curious about this real quick. Yeah. Um, Sean Payton has interviewed with every team that has an opening besides the Indianapolis Colts. Do you read too much into that, that the Colts aren't interested in, in trying to acquire Sean Payton for that first-round pick that the Saints are expected to ask for? Um, or is this more so the Colts knowing what the Saints are wanting and not wanting to give that up? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I could see both sides of it. Sean Payton's made it abundantly clear what he thinks of or what he wants in an ownership and a front office. Um, I don't think the Colts have the calmest of waters on that front right now, so I could see hesitancy from Peyton. But I also am going to sit here and put myself in the Colts' shoes. I can see reasons why they wouldn't want to give up a first-round pick or multiple seconds, whatever it's going to be, for Sean Peyton. So I can see both sides. The Harbaugh one is interesting. How much of that is Chris Bauer related? How much of that is a college coach, again, wanting some personnel control, and clearly Jim Irsay is backing Chris Bauer right now. And then twofold, it always just seemed agent-driven with with Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole process just seems so much of that with his wording and the messaging and all of that. Now, I think a bummer would be if D'Amico Ryans, who interviewed with Denver and Houston before their game with Dallas, if he doesn't get back in interviews with Indy, I think Arizona maybe was the other team that he canceled with, uh, You know, is that kind of viewed as, hey, this is how the Colts position is looked at by arguably the most sought after candidate in this coaching cycle um, in that hey I don't have it that high on my list and is that a reflection of where you're at as a franchise right now Mm -hmm. I think that would be a bit disappointing understandable to be honest with you but a bit disappointing just to go over um, because I do want to get to a few of the names we haven't talked about I think three of the new candidates and I do want to mention a little bit about Ryan's before we get to Twitter questions but just to go over a little bit of lay of the land on the rules here this week Eddie because I was a bit unsure of these as well like I said from the start the candidates you have interviewed and the candidates that are out of the playoffs you can interview them again at any point so that's where Dan Quinn and Mike Kafka come into play and Don uh, Martindale, Wink. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wink, Wink Martindale, any of those guys. Um, you know, Raheem Morris would obviously fall into that group as well. If you want to talk to Bienemy or Brian Callahan or Shane Steichen or D'Amico Ryan's, in the Colts' case, it would be second interviews with all those OCs, Steichen, Callahan, and Bienemy. It'd be a first interview with Ryan's. You've got to wait till Monday, January 30th. So you've got to practice some patience there if you want to wait on those guys. You have all next week to conduct additional interviews with those guys, no matter if they're still in the Super Bowl or not. So let's say, for example, I'm picking the Bengals and the Eagles this weekend. So let's say it's Brian Callahan and Shane Steichen coaching the Super Bowl. From January 30th to February 5th, you can talk to those guys, even though they're in the Super Bowl. That off week for the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. you can meet with them. That's the good news. Now, once you get into Super Bowl week, you can't talk to them again until the day after the Super Bowl. So that is something that I think to keep in mind. You know, part of this too, Eddie, I do want to mention this with D'Amico Ryan specifically. The NFL really restricts candidates like him from doing a whole lot of interviewing. Think about it. Ryan's coached on wildcard weekend, so you mm-hmm. can't interview that first week. The second week, you can either interview that immediate aftermath after your game on wildcard weekend, or you can wait till the end of the week to interview. Ryan's decided to wait till the end of the week. Didn't feel like he could cram four teams in on a day, so just did two of the four 
Well, the 49ers win again. Now Ryan's can't interview this week. So in the three weeks of the offseason, his only opportunity to interview was like the 24 hours after San Francisco won their first wild card game yeah. or the 24 hours before their divisional round game. And put yourself in his shoes. You're thinking Super Bowl with your current situation. And also, if you go out there and your defense lays a clunker and you just interviewed three places the day before, people are going to roast you for it. Oh, yeah. And again, I think it's a bit unfair. I mean, you can hop on Zoom and talk to a team for 45 minutes and then say, hey, we like you, we don't like you, we'll do a second interview. It's not like you need to be on Zoom or need to be in person for six hours for these first interviews. So I do think the NFL has kind of put these coaches into a pretty awkward position of coaches that play on wildcard weekend and then continue to win. Like, just where do you fit this in? And I get it's difficult. Obviously, they have obligations to their own team. Um, I don't know if I have a great answer for any of this, but uh, I would still be patient with Ryan's if I were the Colts. I think it's the guy you have to talk to. And you know, you guys, I think, have heard me talk really for several months now in that D'Amico Ryan's and Brian Callahan were always the two that I kind of had at the top of my list, and I don't think any, anything's changed that. I mean, Eddie, if you look at San Francisco and Cincy, they each have been wildcard teams the last two years. They're 9-2 and two in the postseason, and I think of those nine wins, I want to say five of them are on the road. And you look at the unit, I mean, both their units have been really good. I don't want to act like San Francisco and or Cincinnati. They've had a subpar unit, but if you want to look at the group that has carried them in particular, I would say you would put out San Francisco's defense and Cincinnati's offense. Mm-hmm. And again, those two coordinators reside respectively in both of those places. So, um, yeah. Any, anything else to add before we get into a few of those candidates we haven't yet talked about? Uh, last week, Ben Johnson reportedly going back to Detroit um, after some interviews, he decided to pull his name out and go back to Detroit for one more year and then maybe revisit the interview process and becoming a head coach next year. Uh, that came out a week ago. He's uh, the only one, right? Yes. So far? Yeah. So that's so, where that 15 number, if it was Ryan's, is actually technically 14 until Ryan's interviews. That number's more like 13. And I believe the breakdown of the 13 candidates, not putting Ryan's on that list, I think it's six on the defensive side of the ball. If you slot Jeff Saturday on offense... That would be five offensive candidates, two special teams candidates. Something to point out, Eddie. And I, I, I'm open-minded to a defensive head coach. I probably am a little bit more offensive-centric, but I'm open-minded to it. For the second year in a row, the final four teams, all four of their head coaches are offensive backgrounds. Uh huh. And we mentioned it. Sean McDermott, Mike Vrabel being the only two over the last two years that come from that defensive side. So I do think that is something to keep in mind. All right, now let's transition to the new coaching candidates that have uh, surfaced since we last spoke a week ago. Uh, We'll start with Witch Bisaccia, the special teams coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, and this is a name that um, I think we, the NFL world, kind of got introduced to last year in the interim result with the Raiders. I mean, you thought the Colts had dysfunction this season. The Raiders took it to another level last year. I mean, the John Gruden firing, the emails, just the tragedy in the Henry Rugg situation. Um, Rich Passaccia comes in there. He goes 7-5. and five. I was talking with someone on that Raiders staff. They were like, those dudes just adored him. I mean, they wanted him to get that head coaching job. They did not want Josh McDaniels. Mm-hmm. They wanted Passaccia big time. 
Um, obviously, they came here to Lucas Oil Stadium, Eddie, and beat the Colts with two weeks to go in the season. I mean, they were kind of backs against the wall, having to win a lot late to get in. And remember that wild card game? I was there. They gave. I was going to say. I feel like that. You might have been there. They gave Cincinnati everything they could handle in that game. Yeah, they did. I mean, they were disciplined. They were. They had energy. They had camaraderie within one another, and and they didn't have Devonta Adams like they had this year. Right. Yeah. So a lot of leadership praise. He's now the oldest candidate. If you want to look at the age, sixty-two. Um, he ironically was Raheem Morris's assistant head coach in Tampa. If you want to go way back. Uh, to Raheem Morris's first stint. And of course, if you're the Colts internally, and I just think naturally you have these conversations throughout the year, Eddie. I'm not saying you're calling up Gus Bradley right now to ask him about Rich Passaccia necessarily, but over the course of the year, if you're Chris Ballard, certainly after you fire Frank Reich, I would think at some point you're sitting down with maybe Gus or Ron Milas, your DB coach, or Richard Smith, your linebackers coach. All three of those guys were on the Raiders staff last year with Rich Passaccia. So saw mm-hmm. him firsthand, obviously coached under him. Uh, this this candidate, I would say, well, I guess two things. The the Chris Bauer connection here is with Rod Marinelli. Marinelli and Passaccia have had several stops around the league. Chris mm-hmm. Bauer adores Rod Marinelli. So I think that is the big connection. Two, this probably qualifies as the Biggest surprise, I would say, of any of the candidates. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong if someone else stands out to you. Maybe it's Aaron Glenn. To me, it's still Wink Martindale. Okay, Wink, I I, I could I could see where you're coming from with that. Um, I think in Wink and Basachi's case, both the oldest, and these are the only two, um, are the only ones that have interviewed in Indy but nowhere else. Yep. Um, and Bubba, if you want yeah, to throw Bubba in yeah, there. Yeah, I guess. Of the external, or out-of-house candidates, I should say. Uh, but this, it's not like Matt Rule 2018, Eddie, but it is kind of the one where I was like, oh, wow, that's a little bit out of left field for me. I, I understand it, and again, there's connections, but... Um, he knows he can lead men. Yeah, that he would he, he would definitely qualify. Uh, a guy who we have been pretty high on, Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals. He interviewed with the Indianapolis Colts last week. Yeah, and again, with Callahan, the quarterback background speaks for itself. I mean, it's Bro, it's Derek Carr, it's Matthew Stafford, position coaches with both of them, and then it was an assistant in Denver when Peyton Manning was there. Um, And I get, you know, the Peyton Manning recommendation with Adam Gase didn't necessarily work out. I almost chalked that up to, like, the Ohio State quarterback thing. I mean, just because... You know, a couple of Ohio State quarterbacks have not worked out doesn't mean I'm going to write off C.J. Stroud. Just because Adam Gase didn't work out, I'm not going to cross off Brian Callahan because yeah. Peyton Manning, you know, recommendation didn't lead to glowing results. Obviously, the son of Bill Callahan, that's what you like there. Um, I think something. I don't think we're we're there with Callahan, Eddie. But it's a question I have with Callahan and Bienemy. They're both OC still left in the playoffs. Obviously, Bienemy has been doing this for several more years. Neither of them call the plays in their current situations. Bienemy, given his age, I think he's like 52, 53, is a little different than Callahan, who I, I don't even think is 40 yet. But do either of them look at their situations and say, man, to really make myself attractive to a head coach opening, I need to get out of my current situation and go run the offense. Call the plays. Again, Nick Sirianni was hired without that. You can point to cases of... Coaches that, again, get hired. Was Zach Taylor calling the plays? I don't think he was when he took Kevin O'Connell. You know, I think Sean McVay, 
you know, handling a whole lot of that with the Rams. So you can obviously point to case studies where you don't need to do that, but do they view that? Uh, and I bring that up because if the Colts hire Raheem Morris or hire Dan Quinn, could they attract one of these? That would yeah. be kind of a home run, I think, in a lot of people's eyes, but it is a thought that I have. The comparison here that I want to make with Callahan and Zach Taylor is kind of like what Nick Sirianni did with Frank Reich. Sure. I think he ha- he has a part of the you know the game script and the game flow and when that game's actually going uh, and building the game plan in terms of how they want to exploit whatever defense it is. And then uh, Joe Mixon gave him a, a pretty ringing endorsement uh, last week. Uh, the way he leads, talking about Brian Callahan, it's like no other. I think the world of Cali, he deserves it and he does everything the right way. That's all he knows how to do. He brings the juice. Yeah, I'm a big Brian Callahan fan. I think the Sirianni comparison is 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 really accurate. Um, been very impressed by what Cincinnati has done. Obviously, they have a ton of talent, but again, I think that could be eye-opening for a franchise that has kind of shied away from supporting their quarterback at the level that I think is necessary. I mean, if you look at a trend, Eddie, of these Final Four teams, weapons. Yes. I mean, just weapons everywhere. Look at all four of these teams. They are loaded, wide out, tight end, running back, hybrid running back, wide out. Um, Who's got I, a better skill position group, the Bengals or the 49ers? Wow. Gosh, that's like saying, you know, do I want to play Augusta National or do I want to play Pebble Beach? Just I'll play either. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I Cincinnati maybe a hair deeper. But boy, San Francisco's pretty darn potent. And you when you talk about both those teams, look at the players though. Kittle, drafted. Ayuk. Oh yeah, they're drafted. All, I mean they're all drafted outside of what? Christian McCaffrey? Yep. Yeah. Same um, for Cincinnati. Right. Outside uh, of Hayden Hurst, they've all been drafted. And it's like that's the fr- that's the frustrating part of being a Colts fan underneath Ballard is that he just doesn't want to build around a quarterback like that. He wants to build it up the up the middle in the, in offensive and defensive line. Yeah, you know, Chris Ballard has probably a lot of jealousy and a lot of dreaming about the 49ers, but again, the 49ers have a top 5 tight end, a top 5 whatever you want to call Debo Samuel, he's top 5 wide out hybrid wide back. Yeah, exactly. Whatever you want to call it. Top 5 left tackle in Trent Williams, yeah. the position that, you know, matters the most up front. Obviously Christian McCaffrey's top 5, but again, kind of that hybrid Whereas there's a reason why he got the trade pick or got the pick value for Carolina back because he does play so much on third down. I mean, you, you watch him on Sunday, he's pretty much a wideout for them in the second half. Yeah. And then obviously defensively, when we talk about the Colts defense, we're like, yeah, it's a good unit. San Francisco, that's an elite unit. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's another level up. And obviously, plenty of stats to back that up. So again, Callahan for me, Ryan's and him have always been the two that I've just. I felt like they need to have a whole lot of interest in. Seems like they do. We'll see how patient they will continue to be with those guys. Uh, Dan Quinn, we already briefly mentioned him uh, at the start of the pod with him getting a second interview and being flown out to Arizona. Uh, He spoke with the Indianapolis Colts last week as well. Yeah, and obviously the head coaching experience here um, sticks out. I, I will recall Chris Ballard very early in his Colts tenure Obsessed with what Atlanta's defense was looking like with Quinn early in those Super Bowl years. Uh, really kind of wanted to mirror the Colts' rebuild defensively to what Atlanta was doing. Um, interesting enough, the Atlanta defense kind of tapered off mm-hmm. in the back end of Quinn's tenure. And really, the thing that stands out the most, and it's probably the biggest knock on Quinn, 
is just the record fell apart once Kyle Shanahan left to go to San Francisco. 14 and 23 in his final three years once Shanahan left. So this is the age old question, Eddie, with any defensive hire. You know, the early success was there. I think it was eight wins, 11 wins, 10 wins each of the first three years. Obviously made it to the Super Bowl. And then all of a sudden, just goes in the different direction once Shanahan leaves. How do you maintain that that stability there? Um, you know, Quinn is clearly thought of extremely highly defensively. I mean, Mike McCarthy couldn't beat his defenses in the NFC, so hired him. Yeah. And I think he's taken that Dallas defense and took it to another level. I mean, Dallas defense wasn't the issue on, on, on Sunday in that divisional round lost. Uh, so I, I understand why the interest would would be there. Um, but I think there are some things to keep in mind in looking at his resume. Yeah, we've got some Indiana ties still left. Got Teddy Karras. Yeah. Cathedral's finest, Teddy Karras. Um, and George Odom. George Odom with, with, with the 49ers. Yeah, I was curious. Obviously, you got Nick Sirianni still there as well. That too. Um, Kansas City has George Karloftis. There we go. Boom. Indiana is guaranteed that. to be represented in this Super Bowl. Look at that. Uh, we've already briefly mentioned D'Amico Ryan's. Anything more to add on that front to him? Yeah, before we get to twi- to, to Twitter questions, um, you know, I think times, Eddie, when we look at a guy and a coaching candidate and an ex-player, we oftentimes just throw in quarterback. Such a cerebral position. Got to know all of it. You know, tremendous insight. You know, makes all these checks to the line of scrimmage. I oftentimes don't think we give the credit to a middle linebacker like we should in really the same light. They're doing the same thing defensively that the quarterback's doing offensively. Um, If you were to ask, I think, any of my colleagues, who would you consider one of the more cerebral players in the Colts locker room, Zaire Franklin would be one of the first few names that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I think Ballard has even mentioned it. Like, Zaire Franklin's going to take my job one day. You know, obviously, (laughs) Colts fans, insert your joke here. But. You know, he's that highly thought of. I mean, he was the first three time captain at Syracuse in over a century. You know, I mean, there is a lot. So I bring up Franklin because that's D'Amico Ryan's from a position standpoint. Yeah. Um, you look at his career in the league, there was a great story that Bill Davis, his defensive coordinator in Philly, so he primarily was in Houston, end of his career in Philly, told a story where he would build two defensive game plans each week. One if D'Amico Ryans was playing, and one if he was not. Mm-hmm. Basically, he can handle a whole lot more, can get everybody lined up. Ryans t- tells a great story about like how much he enjoys the the chess match of football, and like he wanted to know everybody's role. Like he was a big. Th- there is that side of football that I think a lot of people gravitate towards. I- I'm probably one of those. I'm a little nerd in that aspect of like man, all the units meshing together and how this position impacts that one and you know all 11 doing your job to accomplish that. During the lockout, Houston was making a defensive change. I think it was Wade Phillips mm-hmm. coming in. And I don't know if how it worked out, but at some point, Ryan's learned the defense from Wade Phillips. Uh, then players had to work out on their own. So Matt Schaub took the Texans' offense, D'Amico Ryan took the defense and taught them what the new defense would be. Under Wade Phillips, so obviously coaches couldn't meet with players yeah. at that point. So I think you've got a guy that's always craved that aspect to the game of football. Like physically, great talent. He's not six four, two thirty, and running four four, and you could just get by with his speed. That not that wasn't really his game as a player either. And he was a great player, you know, mm-hmm. two time 
Pro Bowler as well. So um, I think those are some of the of the attributes to him that are intriguing. Um, obviously, what they've done in San Francisco speaks for itself, but I think you've got a guy that really gravitates towards that part of being a football player, which I think is always a question with the next player. You know, were you just so reliant on your great athletic gifts that it's hard to translate that to coaching? That's why I think Reggie Wayne is a pretty good coach because he wasn't Calvin Johnson mm-hmm. as a wideout. He had to be more of a technician with it. I think D'Amico Ryans is there. Richard Smith, who's the Colts' current linebackers coach, coached uh, Ryans, I think it was a rookie, and, and he mentioned he had never had a play. And Richard Smith has been in the NFL for over three decades. Never had a player that young and that smart at linebacker. So I think that's just a little bit more into Ryan's uh and what you'd you would be getting. Uh what are you, or who are your top five candidates before we get into Twitter questions? Ooh. All right, so this is my top five, right? Not not who I think the Colts would go with the top five. Uh, Ryan's and Callahan would be on that list for me, Eddie. I agree with both of those names. Okay. I, I'd probably go Raheem Morris. I like that name as well. And let me be clear, there's not in any certain order. Probably go um, Shane Steichen as my next. We're four for four. And my last one, I'm a bit torn on. I would love to know more about kind of the leader of men aspect to this guy, but the offensive mind I think is really, really brilliant. And I think he could be kind of that next young brainiac offensive centric head coach in the NFL. I'll go with Mike Kafka. Okay. To round things out. I assume you would go, what, Enemy or Dan Quinn? I'm not a Enemy guy. Okay. I would go Dan Quinn just for the difference between the other four candidates. You know, get the other de- kind of defensive mind a little bit older, who, who's, uh, as JMV likes to say, crusty, can bring the leadership, um, and he's been in, like, in a situation like this before. I don't know. I've, I'm just intrigued by Dan Quinn a little bit. Uh, more so than a Mike Kafka. Um, I I like Kafka. I wouldn't be mad with it, but I think Dan Quinn intrigues me just a little bit more. Yeah, and, and again, I'm the whole retread head coach. It's like whatever you want it to be. You can look at a glass yeah. half full and say, "Hey, Doug Peterson, look at him this year," and Andy Reid, look at him this year, and like you know, you can go down that that path. Um, or you can say young energy and, and, and life and, and I need that and that, that coach will revert to his old ways. Obviously, Tony Dungy here was able to win a Super Bowl kind of the second second time around. So I understand you want somebody that's been there, done that. But man, Eddie, I also sit here and think to myself, I would have been skeptical of a Kevin O'Connell resume. I would have been skeptical of a Zach Taylor resume to a degree. Sean McVay's resume. I mean, hell, Brian Dable. Sirianni. I I didn't think they'd be able to do it this quickly. In Philly, um, the key is obviously hiring a big-time staff if you're able to, you know, if that's the route that you do go down there. So I totally see the Dan Quinn thing. I'm not writing him off, uh, but those would be the five that I would have on the list. Ready for some Twitter questions? I am, and I do want to start, Eddie, before we jump in. I know we basically, and you and you see this as well, we get a lot of like either head coaching-centric questions or more draft-centric questions. Yep. Yeah, those seem to be the two themes right now. Obviously, just with how the calendar is unfolding, the draft questions are not super timely. So for those that have sent in questions and maybe haven't seen them or heard them for several weeks now, we got a long-running list. 
We'll eventually get to them. We try to get to about a dozen each pod. Uh, so these are probably a little bit more coaching-centric, although we do sneak in a few draft ones as well. Uh, we'll start with Zen. He submitted it, not really a question, but more of a statement of his opinion than asked for our thoughts. He submitted this on YouTube. Oh, I like it. Um, he said, I like Raheem Morris as a solid all-around head coach, especially with the offensive details he's gained. I believe Morris will bring solid options as coordinators. I would like us to draft C.J. Stroud, especially after uh, the bowl game against Georgia. Uh, I would draft a guard or a cornerback in the second and third round either way, and then a wide receiver in the fourth round. Uh, look at edge and free agency, all for Michael Pittman Jr., top 10 to 15 wide receiver money. If not, look at trading him to Arizona with a pick or two and try to acquire DeAndre Hopkins. What are your thoughts? Boy, Zen covered a lot there. Um, okay, let's actually go backwards to front. I, I am I am not doing Michael Pittman and draft picks for an aging DeAndre Hopkins. I would agree. Um, love DeAndre Hopkins, but it's probably more in the past tense with him. Obviously, you had the suspension last year as well. As far as the edge in free agency, does that mean no to Yanni Kangakwe? It's a good question. Obviously, the Gus Gus Bradley impact. Again, I can hear people out on both sides, but let's not just write off what Ngakwe gave you last year from a durability and a number standpoint. I know they weren't the most impactful sacks, but it's one of those questions, Eddie, of who else? Yeah. You know, and, and I know that's... That's not a great position to be in, but that's reality of where you're at. You know, as far as the Raheem Morris, um, I, I am intrigued by what Morris could do. I think you read a lot about him. It's very introspective and in how he's looked back on that coaching stint in Tampa. That was a long time ago, and I think he's learned a whole lot. I mean, hell, he was an offensive assistant under Dan Quinn <laughs> in yeah. between now and then. If you look at Raheem Morris's history. He's been with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta, and then he was obviously with Sean McVay most recently. You look at D'Amico Ryan's history with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. So I think why I put Ryan's and Morris on the list maybe above Dan Quinn is they have direct contacts with arguably the two most respected offensive minds in the league. Can you pluck someone? Like Zach Robinson's a quarterback's coach for the Rams. Can you pluck that QB coach from the Rams or the 49ers. Is Brian Greasy the 49ers QB coach, by the way? I think so. Thought I thought I saw that or some sort of assistant there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Can you grab kind of the next Shanahan McVay from their staff? A la Zach Taylor, you know, with with the Rams going to the Bengals or Kevin O'Connell going to the Vikings and say, Hey, come be my OC. You'll run that show. You're gonna get a rookie quarterback that you can identify, you can like. And obviously, if you have success, you'll probably get a head coaching job in a few years. Yeah. So that, I think, is what's kind of appealing about them. The thing about Zach Robinson for me is that he's already interviewing some for some other offensive coordinator jobs. And you know, that. And you know this search for the Colts could last past the Super Bowl and into mid-February, maybe even late February. That's the part that concerns me is that what if that guy that you're trying to poach from a different team gets an offensive coordinator job with a different team. Yeah, and again, Eddie, this goes back to the point that I try to make at the start of the podcast. This is where shit's about to get crazy in these coaching cycles, coaching searches, because dominoes are going to start falling. You see the Reggie Wayne tweet over the weekend? No. Like, What was his tweet? Something about how cutthroat the whole coaching search process is. You know, something to the effect of, like, I thought, you know, the player side of it was crazy, but I didn't realize what the coaching side of it was, so... Again, we're going to start to get 
into that, I think, big time here. Uh, Andy asks, uh, what do you think the chances are the Colts have their eye on a quarterback that they like in free agency, specifically Lamar Jackson? Hmm. We all know Chris Ballard hates the idea of taking a gamble on a quarterback with a top pick and him not working out. But do you think someone like Lamar could be a real possibility? He definitely checks the boxes, young, proven, and maybe get him even cheaper than uh, you would a trade with Chicago for the first pick. What are you and Eddie's personal thoughts on that as well? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Andy. Yeah, Eddie, we have not had a chance to talk about Lamar Jackson. Um, I'll give my thoughts and let you give yours after that. Um, Love watching Lamar Jackson. Just turned 26. Um, you know, in all likelihood, you'd be giving up a draft pick or something along those lines, plus yep. obviously handing out a massive contract to him. My concern is this. The meat of that contract would be into his 30s. Um, is he still such a dynamic talent as that contract rises? I don't think he will be. Um, like, to be dynamic and to still be a really, really elite player, is he going to have the ability to throw the football at an extraordinary high level to continue that? Obviously, his running isn't going to fall apart. He's not going to look like Phillip Rivers tomorrow. but Or think, or Matt Ryan. <laughs> or Matt Ryan. But it's just something you have to acknowledge. Of Are these hits finally starting to add up for him? And I just can't take that risk of, again, giving up premium picks plus paying him that amount of money for a guy that I think we will start to see some drop off. Like let's say you, you think Lamar Jackson's athleticism is like at in the whatever, let's say it's 80% of his game. Yeah. If that drops to 60%, I don't think he's a top 5 quarterback or top 7 wherever you want to slot him. Kind of reminds me of Cam Newton right now. Yeah, in a way a little bit like that. Obviously different styles. Correct. With their athleticism, but yeah. If that starts to get closer to like 50%, he's not going to be worth the amount of money that he wants right now. So that's where I would say no. For me, um, I would say no because if you go out and you get a Lamar Jackson, it accelerates your rebuild, retool, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. That's a good point. The way that it accelerates everything. There's just not enough right right now on the open market, free agency-wise, for them to go out and acquire talent on the offensive side to help out Lamar, because that has been the one thing in Baltimore, is that he's never had help. Yeah. He's always had... Wideout group is very nondescript. Correct. Yeah, he's always had Mark Andrews, and he's always had a good, solid running game to build around him, but he hasn't had a, a receiver to go with him. And I, I guess you could say Pittman would be that, but they traded away Hollywood Brown when they had him. And then Lamar doesn't have anybody. So I think if you do go with Lamar, then you, it accelerates everything else around the quarterback. And I'll add one more thing on the Lamar Jackson front, Eddie, because I believe that mobility and a threat with your legs is vitally important at the quarterback position. And the Colts need to find that. I'm not saying they need to go find Lamar Jackson. Right. Because I agree. when you're so reliant on that aspect to it, while you're extremely dynamic, there is a shelf life. And there is, I think, just an expiration date that's a little bit earlier on some of these other quarterbacks. Like Aaron Rodgers is a very athletic quarterback. He's got a leg threat still at the age that he's at right now. That is kind of more of the running style that I'm looking at. You know, I think we saw, honestly, in the playoffs, you saw a little bit more from Dak Prescott. 
in that realm. That's kind of where I'm getting at, where you still are avoiding a good majority of hits. You aren't just, again, tucking it every single play, but you have the seed of doubt into a defense, and then obviously your longevity in the league can hopefully be a little bit longer. Uh, I'd also throw a comparison of like a Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert in terms of mobility. Like they're not going to take off and run, and and I think that's the part of the NFL where we've you know started to think more towards to when we say mobile quarterback, your mind automatically goes to Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I mean, they are unbelievable talents, and it's it's quite the weapon, but. You worry about the longevity. Uh, I wanted to address the second part of this question from Andy. Uh, the the first round pick acquired from Chicago. Where do you think that would be in terms of compensation in comparison to acquiring a Lamar Jackson? Because I think there's been a lot of smoke and a lot of overblowing um, in terms of what people think Chicago is going to get for that first pick if it's with the Colts. Because one to four is not that far as it is from one to six. Yeah, I think if. A realistic haul that they could expect from the Colts would be the fourth pick, the 35th pick, and then a first-rounder next year. I think if you look at trade value charts, Eddie, and I know a lot of teams put a whole lot of stock into those, that kind of is where the price tag would be. Um, I think it's a great haul for Chicago. I I would agree. Like you said, they're only falling three spots, and arguably only one player will come off the board that they have interest in, assuming one of the defensive guys goes before them. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. And, and again, I know Colts fans will throw in players into all these trades. Boy, that's a lot of convincing to Ryan Poles to throw in a player. I get the Eberflus connection, but oftentimes it's just picks, picks, picks. Like, oh yeah, Kenny Moore? Well, why don't I just draft the next Kenny Moore? Yep. And again, I know it's not a guarantee, but it's no guarantee that Kenny Moore is still playing at the level that he once was at, based off the stock, or the uh, level that you saw from him this season. Uh, Louisiana guy is next. Hi, Kevin. I have a gut feeling that Jim Mercer is going to hire Jeff Saturday regardless of who interviews. How does last season not make him want better for our team and continue to make the decisions that he makes and backs Jeff as a candidate? Also, fix the Colts with five-season defining moves if you were in charge. Please give me some hope, Kev. Thanks for the pod. Well, let's focus a little bit on the Jeff Saturday angle to it all. For me, Eddie, this is what tells you everything you need to know about Jeff Saturday's candidacy. The man is sending texts to Dan Orlovsky and saying, will you (laughs) look at these facts? Look at these things. Look, this is my resume, man. Will you support me? And Dan Orlovsky is either doing one of two things. He's being a good friend. Or he wants a job on his coaching staff. I was about to say that, yeah. So he is then sending out said tweet. Um, in one of, I would say, the saddest tweet I've seen Eddie since <laughs> IU basketball tweeted uh, at the end of the Northwestern game, which IU lost on their home floor by one. They threw in like a 60-footer at the buzzer to make it a one-point game. The tweet was, fought till the finish. <laughs> I think Dan Orlovsky's tweet maybe takes the cake on that. What was um, the... What, four first quarter leads or something like that? The old rushing yards per game taking a big rise there. Uh, Yeah, the first quarter leads. It was, um, boy, quite the information. Uh, And again, and I say this in all seriousness, when you feel the need to send that information out to media people, doesn't that tell you everything you need to know about your candidacy? I was about to say, it seems like a lot of the Saturday push is from the national media, and where did he formerly work? With the national media. You know, I am curious this, Eddie. 
Is Jim Mercer paying attention to social media? Oh, 100%. Does he care? Will, will he let that influence his decision? I think he did with Chuck Pagano. In a, in, in a positive light for, for Chuck. So And T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, T.Y. as well. That's a good point. Now do you look at it? You can look at, I think the uh, Jeff Saturday one, I think you can look at it in two ways, Eddie. One, you can look at it and say, oh my God, look at my fan base. They're going to revolt. We can't hire him. Or... Jim Irsay, which I think is kind of how he's acted a lot over the last year, he said, hey, screw that. I'm going to prove people wrong. Watch this hire. You know, you can look at it in, in a couple of lights, and with Irsay, good luck predicting him. Um, again, I felt like Irsay's desire for Saturday lessened a little bit as the embarrassment continued to unfold, but we're now a couple weeks away from the season, <laughs> and as some of the sting and venom from the end of that year has it lessened a bit, is Jim Irsay not too fond of these candidates? And, you know, we'll see what happens in an interview process. But, um, yeah, I mean. And if the Tom Pellicero report is true, that Chris Ballard has been the main guy interviewing these candidates the right, first time through. And I through, do not think Jim irsay has been very involved at all early on. Maybe Carly Irsay, but I think she'd be the only one so far. And you're seeing Ballard interview 14 people, and he's you know reportedly going to narrow that list down to five this week. Ballard wasn't a Saturday guy from the jump. Does Jeff make it onto the list as number six simply because of the owner? And I think, honestly, a fair question I would have, too, is if Jeff, if Jim Mercy hires Jeff Saturday, does Chris Bauer quit? That's fair. That I mean, might be a very aggressive statement, and that's me talking to myself. That's it's very just, fair, though. You know, This podcast oftentimes can be questions that I ask myself, um, and that's a question that I have asked myself. But again, Jeff Saturday sending out resume bullet points to try and get a job, this is... NFL head coach, not Kevin Bowen trying to get hired by Steve Schneider in the finish line warehouse when I was 19 years old to make a little extra money that I could go back down and spend at IU when I came back to school my second semester freshman year. You know, at least you didn't screenshot a message from your publicist issuing you a quote to put out on your social media. (laughs) I'm not going to say names. I respect that person, but a good deal. Yeah. Uh, Quickly here. You want to avoid. From Louisiana guy, you, he asked uh, t- you to fix the Colts with five season-defining moves. Yeah, I, if you were in charge again, you know, quarterback and head coach. I think I made that very clear. You know what you need to do, quarterback, head coach wise. Um, you know, from a free agency standpoint, you know, can you find a piece there that you kind of slot into maybe like a top ten guy on your football team? Um, now we'll see. Obviously, what happens trade up wise, Eddie, but. I do think in the draft, it's critical to find another piece that you know maybe isn't at left tackle, but is it an additional wideout? Is it another edge rusher? I, I don't think you stop swinging at edge rush, and it does appear this class is very deep in the edge rushing group if you look at this, this draft class. I would say the fifth one, it's not necessarily a move, but it's Bernard Ryman making another jump. Mm-hmm. You know, him getting a little bit more strength. If he can do that, that would be huge for you. I'm going to skip down a couple questions and go to AJ. Bubba Ventrone is one of my favorite candidates so far. If he were to get hired, do you see him more as a CEO type of head coach 
And do you see him leading in another manner? And do you see him being more accountable and confrontational with players? I felt like we missed some of that with Coach Reich. Yeah, I, I do think he would side a little bit more on, honestly, the Jeff Saturday style of leadership. And I do think that style is something Chris Bowden and Jim Mercer would like to seek out. Um, but, you know, when, when, I, when I've said the, the, the acronym CEO for a while, Eddie, that to me means you're not running the offense or the defense. Like, you are not too bogged down on your plate. Yeah. Obviously, in Bubba's case, you wouldn't run the special teams either. Um, so, yes, on the accountability, confrontation aspect of it. Uh, but to me, kind of the prerequisite would be you're managing the operation. It's the it's the Kirby Smart analogy that I made. Did I make that Kirby Smart analogy on last week's podcast? Maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, you know, the semifinal game, you have Ohio State run the fake punt and look like yes. they're going to get the fake punt. Yes, Kirby yes, Smart yes. took the timeout right before that. If he's Todd Munkin... And he's the play caller for Georgia. He's probably talking to Stetson Bennett on the play on on the sideline and isn't able to see that, diagnose it, and be reactionary to make that play, make that timeout call. That's why I think the CEO coach, where you CEO, where you oversee it all, is huge. Uh, Jake's question is next. I feel like Chris Ballard is being given an opportunity to bring in his coaching candidate to compete with Jeff Saturday. If Jim Irsay doesn't like the choice, he will give the job to Jeff. Does this feel right? <laughs> uh, probably not. You know, I, I for those that are unfamiliar with the name Dane Fife, uh, played basketball at IU under Bob Knight, was on. And Mike Davis is on IU's team that made it to the national championship game in 2002. Coached at Fort Wayne, the head coach, small college here, or small D1 college here in, in Indiana. And then was a longtime assistant for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. I think for quite a while, IU fans thought he would be the next coach that you would turn to as your kind of coach of tap into the night years, but younger coach, of course, and almost kind of being groomed for this sort of position. And I said to Dane, Dane was filling in on our airwaves, I said to him last week, because Dane is a little bit more in the hire a Jeff Saturday type. Yep. And I said to Dane, I go, Dane, if IU would have hired you, you would have gotten very little pushback from IU fans on the hire. I mean, the Mike Woodson hire is similar. He's a, he's a former player, but he's also a former coach. Yeah. That has played and coached at a very, very high level. Um, Jeff Saturday doesn't have that. And if you look at the Super Bowl team, Eddie, I can't think of too many guys off that team that have turned into coaching. But I know, for example, obviously Cato June, obviously Reggie Wayne, you know Kyle Devan, an offensive lineman around those years that is that has turned into coaching. But basically, what Jim Mercer has done is he has gone back to the IU 2002 national runner-up team, and Kyle Hornsby is a name that is a doctor now here locally. He's hired the doctor and not Dane Fife, if that makes sense. He's hired the guy that doesn't have the coaching experience because he likes him and has that relationship with him compared to the guy that has been grooming himself yeah. for this job. And again, I know the Colts don't necessarily off those Super Bowl teams have like a Dane Fife equivalent, but that's kind of what I was trying to explain to him. One thing I do want to note on Ballard and just positional value, this has kind of been fresh on my mind because I've talked a little bit about Miles Turner here locally and just the contract situation for him with the contract extension and all that. Eddie, in no order, you would put four, I think, big Ballard player acquisitions as Jonathan Taylor, Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, Shaquille Leonard, and DeForest Buckner. Mm -hmm. Those guys, 
it's probably fair to say at some point in their time here in Indy, have either been the best player at their respective positions or top three. In the top three or four. And in their time here, you haven't won a division title and you've won one playoff game. Now, I bring that up to say, what if those four guys, a running back, a guard, a linebacker, a defensive tackle, what if they were a wideout, a DN, a left tackle, and a quarterback? Or hell, even take out quarterback and just go with the San Francisco blueprint. Let's say that's a wideout, a tight end, a left tackle, and I guess you can leave linebacker on there. Fred Warner's probably that as well. Look what San Francisco's done. Yeah. Again, the positional value, it's not that Ballard is just routinely missed. I mean, those are four really good football players, but that positional value has got to matter. Yeah. I got time for one more. Okay, let's go to Daniel, because I think this is an intriguing question. Who is the most realistic coaching candidate no one is talking about? Most are talking about Sean Payton, Jim Harbaugh, and Jeff Saturday, but who is a lesser-known name that Colts fans should focus on? Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, is a name that he's heard in the past. You know, it's a great question. Daniel, I would say Frazier and uh, Brian Flores, to me, Eddie, were the two names I thought we'd see a little bit more in this cycle that we did not see. You know, I went back and I looked at the NFL assistants that I did in that, like, 20 potential head coaching candidates, and I think I looked at 10 NFL assistants. And for the most part, the Colts have talked to everyone kind of in that group. Frazier is one of the names that they have not talked to. Um but everyone else kind of stands out. You know, of these 13 names, you brought up Wink Martindale. Eddie, that would qualify as a surprise to me. Yep. Um, I understand where you're coming from with that. I'll say Rich Passaccia. I, I agree with that. Just because... Of the leadership that he brings, and that's a, that's a word that Ballard threw a lot out in that press conference. And he holds and accountability. in very high regard. And again, you've heard from people other than Ballard from around the league of like, this dude players love. Again, the Raiders peaked dysfunction last year, and they got it figured out with him and really were quite impressive. So I think he would be a name. Uh, obviously very fluid. Uh, we'll continue to update you on things. And uh, we'll see if any emergency pods happen. Again, second interviews I'm expecting at some point this week. And then um, how the Colts view these final four. Enemy, Steichen, Callahan, and D'Amico Ryans. That'll be something to monitor Monday when you can talk with them again. Bengals, Eagles, Eddie Garrison, your pick for the Super Bowl. Oh, that's who you picked, right? That's who I'm going with. I went Bengals 49ers. Bengals 49ers. I saw first time since 2016 that you have a championship game with the spread less than three. And I just hope they're them. good games. I know. Divisional round did not live up to it. That that uh, Philly-San Francisco game is going to be physical. 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 And obviously Kansas City, Cincinnati, you would think a lot of venom from the home fans in that one with what Cincinnati did to them last year and obviously what they've done to them the past couple of times they've met. Everybody have a great week. Safe travels with this snowstorm coming in. And uh, we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner.